0: morning. How's everyone? I know some of you had a late night, even by UK standards, and uh, I'm praying for grace for you to be able to lean in and concentrate and stay with us as we keep going. I know that Romans 8 is a bit like drinking from a fire hydrant uh, in terms of truth and foundational stuff, but it's... uh, praying that there's, you'll miss some of it, but I pray that God is doing some, some stuff in the midst of all of the deluge of good stuff that's in Romans 8. Um, before we get to Romans 8, I, <clears throat> I feel like I need to just talk about yesterday evening briefly. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I've prayed over this water and turned it into a holy water because this pulpit experienced... Uh, <laughs> Things last night. You know, things have been seen that cannot be unseen. <laughs> Very glad I um, I took video footage of uh, of Andrew so that we have we have something for the next advance newsletter. So. We're not just about church planting we 're about strengthening, and uh, i don 't quite know how we 're going to get it into the newsletter, but we'll find something. just wondering if anyone has has an interpretation of that dance maybe <laughs> anyone <laughs> unfortunately, we have to rule that then that It was just a personal uh, personal dance there that just came out when you um when you read about church planting and and church health and all these experts, and they give you all these metrics on how to measure how well your church is doing and what makes a biblical, functioning, healthy church. One of the things that you read in that list is that healthy churches uh, laugh and have fun together. They put it in there. It's not just that they teach the Bible, that they guard membership, that they honor the Lord's Supper and communion, all these kinds of things, Like uh, that they, they have fun and they laugh together. And it's been... It's been a great joy to feel that amongst you, and not just last night, but the sense that this is a healthy body, the Spirit of God is at work amongst you, and there's life here, and you can have a lot of fun together and laugh and enjoy uh, being in the presence of God and doing crazy, outlandish things, and uh, there's a lot of life in the place, and it's, it's such an encouragement. And uh, um, some of you may not be there this evening, um, I'm sure a uh, fair amount of you may, may or may not Uh, I'd encourage you to come if you can make it. The last part of Romans eight is is probably the best part of it. Uh, I'm not. I didn't write it. It's just how it is. It's just uh, (laughs) can't change the order. It's just uh, it builds in its beauty uh, in Romans eight. So, uh, but you can catch up on it whenever you want. And um, I just, if I miss you this evening, I just want to say thank you to you for uh, your kindness to. To Karis and I, this weekend we've we've absolutely loved uh, this weekend with your church, and uh, we felt very warmly uh, loved and befriended amongst you. Uh, I wanted to say thank you, as as Karis's dad, it's her first uh, sort of trip overseas, and she's a little bit apprehensive coming away with a whole random bunch of church people for a church weekend. I mean, she's a pastor's kid; she's sort of used to the church, but you're all strange strangers to her. You're not strange, <laughs> some of you are. <laughs> <clears throat> strange to her as well. And uh, I, I've particularly appreciated your, um, your kindness to her in, in, in engaging her and asking her questions and just loving her. And she's felt, she's telling me the last thing she said before she went to bed last night. She said, This is such a fun church. They're just so kind and full of life. Yeah. Night, Dad. Went to sleep. <laughs> you know, as a, as a, as a pastor, as a, as a dad, you want your kid growing up not thinking that just your own church is, is great, but that they're, we're part of a broader body around the world and that God's people are, are wonderful in, um, in every corner of the world. And so thank you for ha- helping to reinforce that for her as she's still, she's still owning her own faith and transitioning from ours and making it hers. This is a wonderful step for her. So thank you for loving her so wonderfully like that. And um, One thing I want to say about Romans 8, I'm, I'm grateful that Romans 8 is in the Scriptures uh, because you're going to forget much of what I've said. And I would encourage you as you, go, as you go back to London, as you go home this week, to, to spend the next couple of weeks um, in Romans 8, just reading and rereading and meditating and slowing it down. We've, it feels like we've rushed through Romans 8 um, in, these, in these hours sort of together. And I want to encourage you to go back, because anything that God has said that's of any value, he'll say again. It's all there. Uh, And if you forget what I said, that's neither here nor there. But if you remember what he is saying, and the Spirit of God will bring to remembrance those things that really impacted you, and you can soak your heart in those things again, I would really encourage you not to just, Romans 8 was that weekend, now, let's get back on with whatever else. Go back, and there's so much richness in there. um, And I want to encourage you to do that and to dig uh, deeper for yourself as well. So we're in Romans uh, uh, 8 verse 28. We're going to do 28 to 30. And just a few verses, and then that long stretch uh, will be uh, this evening for those uh, who are there. Romans uh, eight, verse twenty-eight. Let's uh, let me read for us. Paul says, "We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those." He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Let's pray again. Father, Your... Your faithfulness to us astounds us. We're so grateful that you remind us in your word that when we are faithless, you remain faithful. That it's one thing that we can bank on, that morning by morning, you are unchanging. Minute by minute, you don't alter. There's no moodiness with you. You are sure and faithful to your character and to your promises. And you've promised that when we gather together, Longing to hear from you and gathering under your word that you would speak to us. And so we look expectantly to you again this morning and say, Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us? Again, would you, would you shake off any fuzziness in our spirits, any drowsiness that we would be able to hear your voice, that we would pay attention to the voice of the Lord amongst us? You would open up our eyes to see, our hearts to receive. Strengthen us and encourage us uh, this morning through your word. What a gift this word is to us. May it come to life in our hearing this morning again in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the promise here? You find some people who treat (coughs) the Bible like a a promise box. You can go, I don't know if they have one in this bookshop, I don't think they do, but... uh, if you've been into a lot of Christian bookshops you can go and get like a little God's promise God's promise box and it's like normally a little decorative thing and you go but you could take out a card kind of every day like a promise from God and read it and it's like a little peppy encouraging thing of a verse um, and I'm not trying to knock those things even though I sort of am giving it a side <laughs> bash uh, because some of those promises are not promises that God has given and, and Christians really, we can lose our way when we're, we're holding on to promises that God hasn't necessarily given to you. And you can get theologically muddied and confused, and bad theology always hurts people. And if you think that you're expecting God to do X, Y, and Z, and He actually hasn't ever promised that, your disappointment in God goes through the roof, and you can feel um, abandoned and disillusioned, and your faith can wobble and wander and even perhaps collapse in a heap on the floor. Because you're holding God to a promise that he actually never promised to you. But there are some promises that God has given that are sure and that we can bank on. That you can write and put down on your fridge. You can tattoo them on your arm. And this is one of them. Romans 8 verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. And are called according to his purpose. If you have a Bible and you write in it, you should underline we know we know. How does Paul know? How does Paul know? Well, he's looked back down the road and he's seen the all things in his life and in others' lives, and he's seen how God has managed to use all the things to work for good. He has a track record to look back on and say, yeah, and uh, I'm going to have a few offshoots today and uh, some disconnected thoughts for you but one of the things I would throw out to you and suggest to you is that you keep some kind of record or journal of what God is doing in your life because if you're anything um, like a regular Christian you have a very short memory of what God has done you can't remember back a couple weeks ago what God is doing in your life the prayers that you prayed and stuff and I know it's a spiritual discipline and it some people don't like it, but write stuff down. You can type it. You don't need like a flowery kind of Helen Steiner Rice kind of journal with, you know, all weird stuff. You can you can just put it in your phone or something. Use Evernote, whatever it is. Like, but a record of what has God done, what has God been doing in your life, what's He been teaching you, has He been shaping you? So as you look back, and what have you been? What has God been allowing you to go through? So you can say one day, I know. I know that God works all things. For good. I'm not, it's not like I'm hoping. I think Doug said, Andrew believed, I learned at church. It's like, now I know that God works all things together for good. Because you can look back down the road. Some of you, your road is quite short still. So start it now. Start a record of what God is doing and what God is teaching you and how He's active in your life. The promise is that God works all things for good. All things literally means all things. There's, no, there's some parts of the Bible, I'll, I'll, I'll grant that, where the wording can mean different things and you need to dig into the original language and all that kind of stuff. But here, mercifully, this is just plain and simple English. All things means all things. It doesn't mean that all things are good. We spoke about that a bit yesterday. It doesn't mean that all things are good. It just means that God works all things for good. You with me still? They're not all. You, you don't want to get into that weird thing it's like you're starting to call sinful, evil things good just because God's able to turn them and use them for good. You don't want to muddy the waters there. We want to call sin and evil what it is and lament it and resist it and pray against it and work against it and participate in the kingdom of God, driving back darkness. You don't want to just be like, oh, everything is good because God can turn it for good. No, no, no. Things are evil and against God and against God's purposes. But God is able to use all of these things and work them for good. I think what Paul, something that we overlook here often is that we we sometimes use this verse when things are going really badly. So don't worry, God can work all things for good. And what we're actually meaning is that it's the really hectic things that God's going to turn around. Because that's where, let's be honest, that's where most of the encouragement is, isn't it? When you feel like this is not a good thing, and it, and it isn't a good thing, it's a difficult thing, or it's a painful thing, or it's a, it is an evil thing, God is able to work it for good. That is a deeply encouraging thing. But something that many Christians overlook is that God is working all things. God is working the good things and the nice, comfortable, easy things, enjoyable things in your life for your good. Everything. Everything. Paul says, "God works all things for good." He says somewhere else, I can't remember where it is, Colossians, that every good and perfect gift comes down from Him. I wanted to talk a bit about this because as I was praying, I was struck by this again. This is this this truth is so deeply connected to your joy as a Christian. As I've pasted people for a, a, a while now. I've realized that there's a lot of entitlement in Christ, amongst Christians. And entitlement is their enemy. It's a thief of joy. Entitlement is a thief of joy. If you think God owes you something, your joy is gone. Your joy is gone. If you live your life in amazement and wonder that you woke up this morning with breath in your lungs, your day is going to go differently that you had a selection of clothes to choose from. Maybe you packed light and you actually didn't have much of a broad selection, but uh, you had options of clothing to wear this morning, most of us. Maybe your first thought when you got to the food queue was, there's a queue. I'll have to wait. You weren't wondering where your food was coming from. You were just wondering how long it was going to take to get it. Grumbling is kicking in because you have to wait a minute or two to get an English cook-up. I mean, the food here, I think I've put on like 5Ks in like two days. It's just been like ridiculous, the food here. It's an abundance of goodness here. How much of it has just gone sailing straight past you or us? Part of a life-giving body of believers. How many of them have annoyed you this weekend? Feeling a bit rough, sandpapered by somebody. Maybe the person you were sharing with wasn't your first pick. Send Andrew an email about that. Pastors love getting those kinds of emails after church weekends. Entitlement is a thief of joy. Guys, I want to press into this because you'll become a life-giving, joy-filled body as you dive deeper into this. You realize that every single thing that you have is a gift from God. Now, one of the healthy practices that you can get into, you won't want to get into it too often, um, but I've started to cultivate this over the years, is to, every couple of months, sit down and write down everything that I'm grateful for in my life. Like, literally with a pen and paper, write it down. Everything. And those pages turn into reams and reams and reams. When you take stock of everything that you have in your life that's a gift from God, you realize Wow. And you, your wonder and your worship of God just goes through the roof. You walk around just like a kid in a candy store. It's like, this is amazing. And I know some of you are looking at me. I can see some of you looking at me thinking, I think you've lost your way a little bit. Did you not sleep long enough last night? I promise you, your, your joy is intimately connected to this. Some of you are deeply miserable Christians. Some of you are deeply miserable because God hasn't done what you hoped he would do. And yet you've lost sight of everything that he has done. You're holding out on him because your joy is connected to the last 1%, maybe, of what he hasn't done yet. But you've lost track of the 99% of the goodness of what he has done. I know this is a picture particularly blunt, but God owes you nothing. God owes you nothing. Everything that God has given you is a gift from his hand. And as you grow in grace to learn to see that and appreciate it like that, everything changes. Everything changes. Those are the people we, we live. Some of you are are Safis here, so you connect with us. We live on the probably the poorest continent. Some of you have maybe not made a trip to Africa or South Africa or anywhere like that, but so you haven't necessarily spent time in really impoverished areas. But as a as a, I was a youth pastor for for, for a few years. And every year we would take our young people on, on missions trips. I don't know if that's such a big deal in the U.K., but we would take them all on missions trips to go and build houses and run holiday clubs and whatever else. So we'd always go Mozambique, Zimbabwe, other sub-Saharan African countries and uh, go and do that. And we'd always include a couple of church services and gatherings with people, someone would preach the gospel, and we'd share. And the one thing, without fail, we would have to warn the kids and prepare them for this. So when you get there, you're going to see people who have absolutely nothing, who have absolutely nothing, full of the joy of God. And it's going to mess with your mind how these people can be so full of joy in God and have so little. And out of the little that they have, they are going to want to bless you spoiled Santon brats. That's Santon is the area where we live. It's super wealthy where this church was. They're going to take from their not, their nothingness and they're going to use it to bless you and they're going to be left with even less or with nothing. And you're not going to want to take what they want to give you. You're going to push back and say, no, 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 no. You know, oh, you feel embarrassed. But they, they want to bless because they've learned that it's better to give than to receive. And it's their way of loving you and they've learned to trust that God will provide for whatever they next need. And you see kids absolutely wheel spinning because they have no... Reference point for this. They're just like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to eat this person's food because what are they going to end up with? I don't know how to receive this kind of generosity and hospitality. I haven't learned the secret of being content, like Paul says, with lots and with nothing. Those people have learned it. and How are they so happy? I would be miserable if I lived here in these conditions. They've learned. People in extreme poverty have often learned what r- real and true joy looks like. This is deeply connected to your joy. And one of the things I'd pray for you as a body of believers going forward is that you learn this. London is a wealthy, very expensive city to live in. Many of you are probably fairly affluent-ish. It's a struggle for you. This will be a deep struggle. That you learn to look past all the stuff that you have and everything you're blessed with. And see all of it as a gift from God. And hold it loosely. So that you can be deeply generous people deeply generous, not occasionally generous when it moves you a little bit. You can live a life of deep, deep generosity. I'm not commanding you to give all your stuff away. I want you to hold it lightly so that you can hold on to him tightly. Because if he takes your stuff and you love it too much, your faith in him will wobble and maybe, like I said, collapse in a heap on the floor. He works all things for good. It says, of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? What is God's purpose? Well, there it is. It it keeps going. Keep reading there. That those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's purpose. That God would gather together his creation and conform them into the image of his son. He would make his people look like his son. How does he do that? Well, there's there's multiple ways. Some of it is to be changed, to be like him. That's what it means to be conformed, and it happens over a period of time. Some of it, as we've looked at over this weekend, is that you become a son. You become a son like he's a son, as Andrew was saying. He's the, the firstborn, the beloved son, and we're in him. We become sons because of who we are in Jesus. So we have the same relationship to the Father. I want to read a couple of um, verses out of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 that really drive this home. Jesus is praying on the night that he's betrayed for the church. He's praying for the church, and this is what he's praying for them in John chapter 17, 23 and 26 are the only verses that we'll read. Just diving in, he says, I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. 26, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Don't, don't rush past those words. That's my numbing stuff there. That the love that the father has for the son is the same love that he has for you. It's not like he loves Jesus. He loves his son differently to the way he loves you because you're sort of you know, next level, a couple tears down. The same love that he has for his son, he has for you. And Jesus is saying, I, I pray that they would know that. I pray that they would know and experience the love, Father, that you have for me, that you've had for me since the foundations, not before the foundations of the world, since eternity past. It's a love that we can't actually we can't get our heads around. That you would experience that same love. This is no this is no small thing, and as I was praying for praying for you, praying for us for our time together, I was impressed on my heart that this is a significant thing. That God wants some of you to we've spoken about it at different points throughout the weekend, to experience this love that the Father has for the Son. It's not a head thing, guys. It's not that you know, okay, oh that's nice. It's comforting to know that I'm loved by the Father like he loves the Son. It's that you feel deeply loved. You experience. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And we're not, we don't write a um, uh, our walk is not based just on feelings. Okay? If, you, if, if that's the, the, the vibe and path you go down, you get into all kinds of trouble. But it's not without feelings. It's not without the, the, the indwelling Spirit driving that truth into your heart that the Father loves you like he loves the Son. It's an overwhelming love. And some of you will have experienced, many of you will have experienced that in different strengths and intensities before. And so you, you, as I'm speaking, you're nodding and you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're longing for more of that or that again. Some of you are looking at me thinking, huh, no clue what you're talking about. I'm going to say to you, this is the, one of the most important things that you can experience is an outpouring of the love of God over your life. Because without it, you'll go looking for love in all the wrong places. You will. You were made to have your soul satisfied in the love of the Father. And otherwise, and outside of that, you go looking for counterfeits everywhere else. And that's how we get ourselves into such a mess. And nothing can bear the weight of the expectation that you're putting on it. Not your spouse, not your children, not your career, Nothing. Only God can do that. Only God can satisfy that deep longing that you were made for. We're loved by Him. Experience that. Same love Father has for the Son He has for you. There's a relational aspect to being conformed to being like Jesus. There's a character aspect to it. God is relentlessly committed to transforming our character. Like we spoke over this weekend, sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's Awkward. Sometimes it's fire. It's trial. It's suffering. It's hard. You probably heard the illustration of how they asked the sculptor uh, who was working on carving a horse, how they, from a, just a, a solid block of marble, how do you, where do you start? How, how, do you, <laughs> how do you turn this block into a horse? They said, well, I just look at the block, and then I just chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse. That's what God's doing in your life. He's just chipping away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Everything that doesn't look like Jesus, he's just chipping it away. Over the years, that's what it means to be conformed. It's burning away and removing everything that doesn't look like the sun. That's what it means to be conformed. And this is an ongoing life's work. But it's, like we said, we're loved and held in his hands in it. There's other things, we'll skip them. How can you be sure that God is working all things for good? Some of you will have a question mark next to that. God is working all things for good. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. I know it says it there, and I know you're trying to like make a compelling case for it, but how can you be sure God is going to work all things for good? The answer is because God is sovereign. Because God is sovereign. And uh, Jeremy was saying that a lot of these the messages are weighty and foundational, and that 's what Romans eight is and um, there 's a sense in which I need to apologize for like the weight of all the stuff I, I realize that like it feels like every session we 're like digging in these foundations and stuff, and you won 't get all of them, but as a believer, a lot of the things that we 've covered in these different sessions these are foundations, and f- digging foundations is harder work than laying bricks. So building on on top of the foundations is easier than digging the foundations. That's why some of this feels like hard work. But this is another thing that you need as a foundation in your faith, is that God is sovereign. An understanding of the sovereignty of God is a foundational thing that you need as a follower of Jesus. What What do I mean by the fact that God is sovereign? Well, there's a wonderful author and lecturer who I studied under called Bruce Ware, And I would encourage you and commend all of his books to you. And he says, this is his definition of sovereignty. Listen to this. God exhaustively plans and meticulously carries out his perfect will as he alone knows his best. Regarding all that is in heaven and on earth. And he does so without failure or defeat. Accomplishing his purposes in all of creation from the smallest details to the grand purpose of his, of his plan for the whole of the created order. There is nothing that escapes the hand of God. And there are options for you because whenever I have ever spoken with people about sovereignty, there is always pushback from people. So like that makes me uncomfortable, it raises massive questions, and it should. I'm going to say that, I'm preempt that. It should raise massive questions of the sovereignty of God. And if you're a young believer or you're still figuring out or looking in, I would encourage you to dig, don't just rush blindly, dig into those questions. There's a lot of truth to be known there and help to be had there. You might be pushing back saying, well, I don't like this idea of him being sovereign, but the alternatives are far more ghastly. If God is not sovereign over all things, then he's only sovereign over some things. And which things is he not sovereign over? Which things can come into your life that God has no control over? Can either help you with, assist you with, get you out of, prevent. Do you want that? Or do you want God sovereign over everything with some question marks in terms of our experience? Like This is uncomfortable. This is difficult. I don't understand. Why are you doing this to me, God? Why are you allowing these things? Wrestling with that stuff. I'd rather have that than a God who's got one arm behind his back and say, guys, I'd love to help. But you know, I'm not sovereign over everything. That's outside my jurisdiction. I'd, I'd, lo- I re- I love you guys. I'd love to get involved, but you know, I'm not sovereign over everything. He's either sovereign over all, or he's not. And it does raise questions. It raises a struggle. I get it. But it's by far a more glorious and wonderful and peaceful way to live. Sovereign over all things. Psalm 135. Verse 5, the psalmist says this, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. I love that. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. There's nothing stopping the Lord. There's nothing stopping him. Isn't that a comforting thing? I go to bed at night just thinking, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. All the rulers of the world gather together and make their plans against you. And God does what? He sits on his throne and he, what does the word say? He laughs at them. I love that. They have their summits. They have their meetings. They have their plans of what's going to happen. And God is sitting on his throne and he's laughing at them. That's what it means to serve under a sovereign. That God, ultimately what he's wanting to happen is going to happen. He's going to use them and he's going to engineer and he's going to tolerate and allow. But ultimately what God wants to happen will happen. And you as a believer in Jesus, you can go to bed at night resting in it. I don't know what the level of anxiety is in the room around Brexiting. Probably fairly low. No high? Okay, well, some of you are giving me shifty eyes, so I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I thought by yesterday you guys would have been out. it? Friday you would have been on your way, but uh, you've got another postponement. I don't even know how it goes. What else is going on? Yeah. If you're ever going to leave, you're welcome to stay. It's quite a nice union or whatever. <laughs> Um, I know nothing about Brexit and stuff, so I'm probably saying offensive things without even realizing it. <laughs> but there'll be some anxiety around things like that, political things, things in your family, stressing you out, stressing you out, worrying the life out of you. The sovereignty of God allows you to put your head on your pillow and just to say, God, you have got me and you have got this. You have got me and you have got this. When I was last at Grace two years ago, I got a message as I was born in the plane to come over to the UK that our best friends were leaving the church. Our oldest standing friends, holidays together, kids born weeks apart, everything through various things that happened in the church that had become particularly hurt disgruntled and they were leaving and it wasn't an easy, gracious departure. People had warned us before we planted that it's a possibility that you things go pear shaped is that a phrase that you use over here? Yeah. Things go pear shaped you lose friendships and stuff can happen like that. And I was over here for a couple of weeks and couldn't do much about it, got back and waited Went back and waded into the mess of it. And some of it was on decisions that I would made as a leader that I knew before God. Because I didn't make them on my own. But a bunch of others from the Advanced Network had really helped with this. I knew we had made the right decision. I knew before God my conscience was clear. But it was one of the toughest things I've had to endure as a pastor. To follow through on what I knew God wanted us to do and lose our most precious friendship that then turned into friendships as people left the church who were, you know, informed by other things and swayed. And this church can be very messy sometimes. It was a massive heartache. But the one thing people were asking me and outside of the church, and then our church said, how are you doing, Doug? How are you handling this? And I said, it's a real heartache. I won't lie. There's tears. there's real heartache. But I haven't lost a minute's sleep. I put my head on the bed, and every night I remind myself, God, you have got this church. You have got me. You're working all these things for my good. Good night. Have a good sleep. Wake up in the morning and try again. If you don't embrace the sovereignty of God, you're going to have sleepless nights. You're going to be racked with anxiety. Some of you are sitting here in an anxious mess. An anxious mess because you're almost ready to go back into London life. And everything you left behind for a few hours is waiting for you there. And you're an anxious mess. And God wants you today to have an encounter with the Him in His sovereignty. Realize that you can trust Him wholeheartedly. You won't understand. You're not going to understand God is not interested in giving you all the answers. He doesn't owe you all the answers. You won't be able to trace his hand in everything. What he wants you to learn to do is to trust his heart. That he is a loving, sovereign father and he's got you and he's working all things for your good. And some of you would be wading back into very complicated situations and lots of mess and things you'd rather not have to deal with. He's got that. It's not a mistake. I want to say this. God does not make mistakes. Did you hear that? God does not make mistakes. What's going on is it's not a mistake. It may be difficult. Maybe feel like fire. There's no mistake in it. And he is in it with you. He's in it with you. We see here in this passage that he is sovereign over the totality of our salvation. I want to end with this. He's sovereign over the totality of your salvation. It's not like God got you off to a good start and then left you on your way. Saved you. Good luck giving you the Holy Spirit. Hope it goes well. Maybe I'll see you on the other side. I don't know. See how well you do. Get into a good church that might help you. It's like, that's facetious. That's nonsense. Somebody brought that word, that verse the other day from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this. Not, not this is my hope. I am sure of this. He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. where well, God starts, God finishes, guys. Some of you are floundering in your faith still. It's flagging. And God, want, God got you on this weekend to put some strength into you. And for you to hear again this truth of what he started, he's not going to bail on you. He's not going to bail on you. You'll go through dry seasons. You feel like you're wandering a bit in the desert. It's not always going to feel like it's amazing. It's not. Sometimes it's going to feel difficult and God's going to sound, seem quiet and you're going to feel alone. You're going to wonder, does he even exist? The promise here is that what he starts, he finishes. The pressure's off you. Jesus said, everyone that you've given to me, in my hand. No one snatches them out of my hand. You're in his hand. There's no one snatching you out of his hand. Your salvation is secure because you didn't start it. This one says, I mean, you started. and He's going to keep you going all the way home. And how does Paul describe this? It says, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. You know what? Glorification is. How many of you feel glorified already? Yeah, it hasn't happened yet, has it? it? hasn't happened yet. But it's written in the past tense because it's so sure and certain that it's written in the past tense. It's not like he might glorify. It's like it's written in the past tense because it's, it's such a done deal. It's such a done deal. So secure is your salvation in him. When he calls you, it's a done deal that he can write that you are glorified, something I mean, that's still going to happen in the future as if it's happened in the past already. It's so secure. And it shouldn't make us apathetic, say, well, I'm on autopilot now, or whatever God wants. No, no, that's not that's not the appropriate response. The appropriate response is, God, you're amazing. How on earth? This is unbelievable. And we want to we want to press in and drink deep of all of this, all of this wonder that God foreknew, predestined, called justified and glorified? I want to spend a little bit of time praying for and with you. I'd like to pray for people who two particular groups of people that I felt um, impressed to pray for. Those who are really crippled with anxiety and worry. And I have had my own uh, struggles around anxiety over the years. It's been in the top two or th- three issues that God has had to go to work on in my heart. And so you're amongst friends. Or you're at least amongst one friend here. Who has understood the crippling the crippling um, power of anxiety and fear. And worry of the future. I get it. I get it. And I, but I also understand, not just the theology of sovereignty, the, the outpoint of the love of God to release you from that and to bring a, a gracious just resting in Him that you don't have to control your own universe, that you truly can rest in Him. That you can let go of things, even this morning. And pray for those, and I also want to pray for those of you This is particularly, I felt this while we were worshiping, those of you who are still on the journey to becoming followers of Jesus. And you're holding back. You've heard so much this weekend. You've heard maybe too much, admittedly. But you're holding back. There's a bit of a fear. The thing that's holding you back is a fear. You feel fairly convinced that this might be true. This is a wonderful community that you could sort of maybe get in and enjoy. But you are so afraid of what will have to change, what you would have to give up if you fully surrender to following Jesus. And I want, to pray, I want to pray for you in that. That God would release you from that fear of what you have to give up. You, you lose nothing in coming to Christ. You, you gain absolutely everything. But I understand there is a fear. You wonder, what is God going to do? Is God going to embarrass me? Is God going to send me to Myanmar as a missionary and ruin my life? Maybe that's not at a front and center fear, but like, is everything going to change? Is everything that I love the most, everything I enjoy now, is God just going to take all those things away from me and just leave me? I'm going to be a miserable person. What's your name, brother? Was it Anthony? Marcus? Mark? Yeah. Matthew. Matthew, something with an M. Do you remember Matthew's testimony from the other day? Brother, that was so encouraging to hear that. It's a journey. The things that, you know, we think will bring us joy, you lean on, they, there's nothing there, guys. They're not built to carry the weight of your greatest expectations. God is. And if you're still on that journey, I want to encourage you, I want to plead with you. God got you here on purpose. God got you on purpose. He doesn't make mistakes. You may not have thought this would be the best weekend for you. This today could be the day where everything changes for you. You'll look back on this day, this weekend, in decades to come, and say that was the day God called me because he already knew me. He justified and glorified me on that Sunday morning. Everything changed. I had an outpouring and experience of the love of God in my life. I can't explain it. I didn't even know what was going on. I was just listening to this guy waffle on in the front there. God got a hold of me, and everything is different. Can I pray for those different groups of people, and then we can respond in different ways. Jamie will come and lead us. Let's pray together. I'm a, I'm a big believer in the priesthood of all believers. I don't believe there's men of God special powers, high priestly prayers. The Spirit of God is at work in us and amongst all of us who call Him Lord. So I wonder if you would help me. We do this at our church. I don't know if you, I think you guys are up for this. I think you'd have enthusiasm for this. If you'd like us to pray for you, if you battle with anxiety and worry, I'd love you to stand. I'm standing. I'd love you to stand. Now I'd love the rest of you to stand and make your way near somebody. Just lay a hand on their shoulder. Just try and make sure that everyone's got somebody with at least one hand on their shoulder. Some of you will feel confident to pray out loud. Others not so much. That's that's Okay. Let's just spend a couple minutes. I'm going to be praying with you. Then I'm going to come and get on the mic and pray for us together. But let's just pray. And let's cry to God for these people. Anxiety is, a, is not what God wants for us. And we don't want to just throw truth bombs at people and say, the Bible says don't be anxious about anything. That's not going to help these people. They're struggling with anxiety. They stood up they took a courageous step to say, God, please help me today. And there will be different levels of struggle in the room Let's cry out to God say, Spirit of God, would you do something in in these people? Pour out your peace on them. Maybe if you've been prayed for, if you can just put your hands out. Posture is a very biblical thing. Put your hands out as if you're receiving a gift from God today. He's going to just deposit his peace into your heart. Let's pray together. Let's spend some time just crying out to God for these precious saints. Jesus, you are the you are the Prince of Peace. We worship you, that you have promised to give a peace unlike anything else or anyone else would give us. You said, My, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. You are our peace, and I cry to you for these. Beloved ones of yours this morning, that you would fill them with yourself. You would come, Holy Spirit, and lavish peace on them. you drive out the anxiety. Help them to let go of the things that are causing anxiety. Sometimes we hold on, Father, we hold on to things. And just in our desire to control, that causes us anxiety. Help us to lift our eyes. Right up there we see the sovereign loving Father. Your face is towards us. We're we're in your hands. All of your ways are good. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you. Believe you're working every single thing for our good. Pray that anxiety would just drain out of this place this morning. It wouldn't just be a momentary thing now. We pray that you'd be rewiring people this morning who've become serial warriors. Pray that you'd be rewiring them to be people who can take baby steps of trust. Good Father, you've got them. Brandish that truth on their heads and their hearts this morning. Write it on their hearts. You have them. You have them. They have nothing to fear. We love you. We worship you. How good you are, God. How good you are. Thank you.